Would you join me in praying as we come to the word this morning? Lord Jesus, we are honored to come into your presence. We are honored to be able to read your word written to us. We are honored to invite you into this place, God, to change our hearts and our minds, to make us more like you, transformed from the inside out. Would you come and do your work today? Lord, as much as I can speak for everyone in this room, we invite you. We welcome you. Come and do your work, we pray. May we leave these doors, different people that walked in because we've been in the presence of our King this morning. Come, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So do you guys have lunch plans? Cancel them. I'm just kidding. No, but uh, you are going to hear me talk really, really quickly uh, today. And I've been accused of talking quickly in the past, and I'm even ratcheting that up. Uh, So if it gets too quick and someone needs me to slow down, shout it out. Uh, You know how we've been working through Mark for the last eight years? Kind of verse by verse, taking our time with it. We're covering almost an entire chapter today. So hold on, because here we go. We have, we're in Mark chapter 13, uh, the longest Tuesday of recorded history. Uh, it's covered about almost three chapters in the book of Mark. This has been a busy day uh, for Jesus and his disciples. And this is Jesus' final teaching on this long Tuesday of his final week of ministry leading up to the cross. Okay, so just to catch you up a little bit on where we've been, he's come in uh, to Jerusalem and he was celebrated and the people have come and they want to hear the teacher speak, but then the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are challenging him. And so there's kind of this battle taking place. And finally, now he's leaving the temple complex. It's just he and his disciples, his followers, and they have some questions. One of them starts, we looked at last week, by pointing at the temple and going, Jesus, look at these impressive buildings. Look at these magnificent stones. And we looked at the scope of the temple complex. It was huge. You could fit 50 football fields inside the walls. It was massive. And they go, Jesus, look at it. It isn't incredible. And he says, don't get caught up. This is about to be destroyed. Not one stone will be left on top of another These impressive stones you're talking about are going to be torn down one by one until none of them are left standing. And obviously, if you were his disciples, you would have some questions, some follow-up after that. And that's where we find ourselves in Mark 13, verse 3. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple complex, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? When is this destruction going to happen, Jesus? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to take place? Then Jesus began by telling them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. Anytime Jesus says, don't be deceived, our ears should perk up. Oh, okay, he's saying something really important right now. Somebody might try to trick us on this one. We've got to pay attention. Don't be deceived. There's going to be false messiahs, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, and the like. These aren't the end. 
Don't be deceived by these things. These are the beginnings of birthing pains. Another way of saying this, these these are normal things in our sin-stained world. These have been happening and will continue to happen. Don't be deceived. Uh, Now, I can't imagine what Jesus would have been like in the day of Facebook when every time there's a war, a rumor of war, there's an earthquake somewhere around the world, there's uh, hurricanes. I mean, we have all of this stuff happening. And how many people, this is it, this is the end, this is the one. And Jesus goes, "Don't, don't be deceived. Don't fall for it. Don't get caught up in all of that. It's a red herring. That's not the end. This is birthing pains. This, this is the world groaning for what it longs to be, imperfection. But sin has entered and kind of touched and ruined everything. There's going to be wars. Nation is going to rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Don't be deceived. Don't fall for it. And then he goes on, what, something we looked at last week uh, in Mark chapter 9, and we're not going to take time to look at it this week, but he tells his disciples, persecution is going to happen. You're going to be arrested. You're going to stand trial in my name. Father is going to rise against son, brother against brother. Things are going to get bad. But what he tells them is, but for you, suffer well. When you're in those places, when you've been arrested and you're standing trial, my Holy Spirit will be with you and he'll give you words to say. You won't be alone in those times. He doesn't say, get out of it as quick as you can and I'm warning you so that you can avoid it. He says, this is coming but I'll be with you in the midst of it. And then he ends with this incredible verse where uh, Mark 13, 13, he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Don't get caught up in why is this happening and should it be and oh, where, where is God in all of this? He says, instead, endure. I'm telling you that this stuff's gonna happen so that you can suffer well, so that you can endure when those times come on you. Don't get caught up in all the other stuff. Things are going to get tough. And your call as believers is to endure until the end. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And then Jesus goes off into some stuff that had to have them scratching their heads. Mark 13, 14 to 23. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it should not, let the reader understand Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down or go in and get anything out of his house. And a man in the fields must not go back to get his clothes. Woe to the pregnant woman and nursing mothers in those days. Pray it won't happen in winter, for those days will be of tribulation. Excuse me, for those will be days of tribulation. The kind that has not been from the beginning of the world, which God created, until now and never will be again. Unless the Lord limited those days, no one would survive. But he limited those days because of the elect whom he chose. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, look there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders and lead astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. That's like, that's a jump from, hey, Jesus, what are you talking about with the temple to some of the stuff he gets into? Like, he's covering some ground. And here's the thing. We're just going to put this out there at the start. Prophecy is tricky. Anytime in scripture, somebody is talking about what's going to happen in the future. 
many of us, your head starts to swim a little bit and you go, whoa, what is happening? What, is all, what does this mean and what does that mean? You're not alone. Prophecy is a tricky, tricky thing. Here's, here's, the, here's my stance when it comes to prophecy. Prophecy is not really for us to understand fully now. Many people want to know everything the Bible has to say in concrete detail, even the future stuff, and they kind of won't stop until they can make it concrete. I don't believe prophecy is for us to understand fully right now. It's, we don't skip it and just move past it or whatever. But prophecy is written for those in the days when it's fulfilled. Those are the ones who are going to understand it fully. Those are the ones who are going to see it and go, oh, that's what he meant. Oh, that's why he said that. For us now, we have to be careful. There's, there's a lot of people that teach very, very strongly on prophecy, on future things, and they hold on to it with an iron grip. I know what's going to happen in the end days. I know what's going to happen in the future. And that is a dangerous place for us to be. That was actually one of the problems that the Pharisees and the religious leaders had. The Messiah, Jesus, had been prophesied about hundreds of years before he came. And they came to some conclusions that we've been talking about through Mark. That the Messiah is going to be this political leader. He's going to be like David, who was a military man, rose up as a king and a general, and led us to throw off every other nation. And so there's going to be this battle, and we're going to go fight and free ourselves that was what they thought the Messiah was. That was their best conclusions. And they held on to it with such an iron grip that when the prophecy was actually fulfilled right in front of them, they missed it. Not only missed it, they said, Jesus is so far off from what we expect, we got to get him out of the way. And they end up killing the Messiah that they've been waiting for because they were holding on to all the ideas they had before. There's some other sinful stuff going on and selfishness and Jesus was threatening their money and some of this kind of stuff as well. But at least the face they put on it was, this is not what the Messiah will look like. We know, and it caused them to completely miss it. So it's, it's dangerous to hold too tightly to any of our interpretations, our understandings of prophecy. Not to say that, there's nothing to be gained from it. We are to learn from it. They, they give us a sense of hope. They give us a sense of endurance. They give us a sense of caution. But to think that we have to get to a point where we understand exactly what every piece is going to look like and, and the exact chronological order and all of this, I think sometimes we put it on too high of a shelf. And in doing so, we're in danger of missing what's really the point. So, so we're going to move through uh, some of this stuff right now, and we're going to move through it pretty quickly because I think the last thing Jesus has to say has more bearing on our lives now than this stuff in the middle. So we're going to move through it, and I'm going to try to stop and kind of touch on some points, but we're going to be getting like the 30,000-foot view. I'm going to be painting with some broad strokes, and I'm going to kind of say, look, here's what most... Uh, theologians believe, or here's a pretty common understanding of this, but we're not going to get into the weeds. At best, we're kind of dipping our toe into the pool, okay? Because I think I don't want to miss what Jesus says at the end. So let's start working through this. Uh, first, I want to tell you, uh, if you want to look this stuff up later, I'm going to give out some passages of like, man, Daniel chapter 9 talks about this, and I'm not going to get into it, but 
just throw them out there. So if you want to take them and study them later, I want you to be able to do that. One word you're going to come up against as you start uh, studying this is the word eschatology. And the, eschatology simply means the study of the end times. I'm just trying to throw it out there now so that if you go looking at it later, you don't start getting tripped up by some stuff. Eschatology is the study of end times. The prophecy that Jesus is giving here most attribute to the end times. And so you're going to find that word, and I just don't want it to be a foreign thing when you do. So let's start where Jesus did in Mark chapter 13, verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it should not, let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down or go in to get anything out of his house. A man in the field must not go back to get his clothes. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray it won't happen in winter, for those will be days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of the world which God created until now and never will be again. Unless the Lord limited those days, no one would survive. But he limited those days because of the elect whom he chose. So the, the context that Jesus is putting this in is often referred to as the great tribulation. Okay, let me give you, again, paint with some really broad strokes and just kind of giving some general ideas uh, of, of what Jesus is pointing out. The, the, the commonly held Christian belief is that things on earth are going to get worse. That, that the, the pressure and the persecution and suffering and injustice are going to get worse, not better, on earth, ultimately culminating in something called the Great Tribulation, a period of time, most believe it's about seven years, there's some places we can, we can point to that give us an idea of that, that, that look exactly like what Jesus is saying, a time of persecution, of tribulation. Tribulation means pressure. A time of such intense pressure, it's nothing like the world has ever seen before, and it's nothing like the world will ever see again. It's kind of this, this culmination of all of the sin and evil and injustice in the world. And when you read through uh, the book of Revelations, chapter 6 through 19, you see like a, it's a very prophetic, there's some, some poetry and some imagery language tied to it, but it gives you this idea that things are bad worse than they've ever been. And, and at times, God is, is pouring out some judgments on the earth, and there's just some crazy stuff that happens. And this is during the, the end of days, the end times, this period called the Great Tribulation. You can look at it in Daniel chapter 9 through 11. Uh, the sister verse to what we're reading here in Mark 13 is Matthew's account. Matthew was also an eyewitness and actually wrote a more in-depth account of Jesus' teaching here. So Matthew 23 through 25 is all about Jesus' teaching uh, here on this end times and, and what that will look like. But what Jesus is saying, and again, as it's commonly understood, is during this end time, this great tribulation, that there will be a character called the abomination that causes desolation. And I say character because most believe it's a man. Some believe that it could be a, a group of people or most believe that this would be a man that rises to power to lead this kind of new world government that is completely anti-Christ. Uh, you can read about uh, the abomination that causes desolation where it says, let the reader understand. Most believe it's, it's kind of pointing back of going, you've heard this before in Daniel chapter nine, 
Daniel refers to, there's one verse where he says, there's going to be the abomination that causes desolation that's going to stand in the house of God and he's going to bring it to an end. Okay, and so this guy who stands in the house of God and actually calls himself God stands in the place where he shouldn't be and does what he shouldn't do and that the world flocks to him and follows him and that at that point, things go down quickly to the point where he says, look, if you're living in Judea at that time, don't even go back into your house to grab something. If you're pregnant or nursing, this is going to be hard because everybody's going to be moving quick. Get into the mountains, get out of the city, get away. Things are going to go bad quickly. Even to the point where he says, pray it doesn't happen in winter. It's going to be incredibly difficult. Verse 21, then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, look there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you in advance. Don't be fooled. There, there have already been plenty of times where someone has stood up and said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God, come follow me. These are false teachers, these are false messiahs. But he says in that day, it's gonna be ratcheted up even more. And check this out. They will rise up and they will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, I love the little aside, as if it were even possible, the elect, the followers of Jesus they're, they're even going to have, and this is weird for us, all of this stuff is weird for us, they're going to have a demonic ability to be able to copycat signs and wonders. This is not a brand new thing. If you uh, read back in the Old Testament, the story of Moses, when Moses comes before Pharaoh, the whole let my people go moment, he stands up there and he does some signs. He, he turns some water to blood. He, he has his staff turn into a snake. And there are those on the Pharisees, or not the Pharisees, on Pharaoh's staff that are able to do the same things to a point. Pretty quickly, God outpaces them and starts putting on signs and wonders they can't match. But they, through their, uh, as the Old Testament calls it, divination and kind of black arts, were able to mimic some of the signs and wonders. And Jesus is going, Don't be deceived. In that time, there's going to be some people that come and they say, I'm the Messiah. Come follow me. And look, I can even do some of the same stuff he did. But don't be deceived. Jesus keeps warning about false messiahs. He, this is now the second time that he's kind of gone into it and gone, look, they're coming. Don't be deceived. Repetition is a very important thing in the Hebrew culture. They didn't have all caps text or exclamation points. And so they would repeat something by way of going, don't miss this. And just going, these false messiahs are coming. Don't fall for it. And for us now, sitting here in our Western culture, pretty comfortable in church, we don't have to worry about the police coming in or anything. And we go, who would fall for a false messiah? Like, it kind of seems like an easy one to sniff out, especially talking to his disciples. They've just walked with Jesus for three and a half years. It would be a weird thing if they didn't recognize him again, Right? It can, it can feel a little out of place. Who would actually fall for this? We think of some rubes, you know, who have fallen for it in some other places and other times. We go, certainly not me. But let's put ourselves in the context of what Jesus is teaching on here. This time of incredible pressure, tribulation, like has never been on the earth before and like will never be again. 
What do we do when we're hit with pressure, suffering, persecution? Naturally, we look for a way out, right? In and of ourselves, we go, where's the escape hatch? How do I make this stop? Now, all of a sudden, this guy coming going, hey, I'm the Messiah, come follow me, and look, I can do some tricks, starts to look pretty good. Maybe they can get us out of this. Maybe they can make all of this stop. And it says many will begin to follow them because they, pro they offer the promise of maybe I can make this stop. Think back to Jesus teaching to his disciples we looked at last week. You're going to suffer. Learn to endure suffering. We have to fight this natural ability to look for the way out just to make it stop because that will lead to following false idols. But instead, learning to endure. Learning to allow Christ's power to flow through us to the point where we can endure for his glory whatever persecutions may come. And again, he's, he's promised them. He didn't even just go look, it might happen. He's promised it to his believers. And he's told us, suffer well, endure. Fight the urge to jump ship, to find the first thing that promises you relief in going and following it. Many will fall for that in that day. We become easy to deceive when we hit suffering that we've not prepared ourselves for. And Jesus says, I have told you everything in advance. Speaking to those that will actually be going through this time, he goes, I don't want it to be a surprise. I want you to know it's coming, A, so you can prepare, and B, so that when it comes, you don't feel left high and dry. This is what he said would happen. He told us in advance that this would happen. We don't have to ask the question, where is God? How could he let this happen? That'll be our natural. But to fight that and go, he's already told us this. And remember what he said, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. He keeps using this term, you must watch. You must persevere. You must be alert. Suffering is coming for all of us in any age, but especially to those going through this time. He goes, I want you to know things are going to get bad, so bad like they've never been before and will never be again. But endure. Be alert. Be on your watch. Don't be deceived. Persevere. Endure to the end. Mark 13, 24 to 27. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the celestial powers will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the earth to the end of the sky. You see, in this time, there will be plenty going. Did we miss it? Was I, was I falling asleep? Did I not see his coming? Was it this guy on the street corner who was able to do some parlor tricks? Did I miss it? And Jesus goes, trust me. I'm going to put this in a way that those who follow me will not be able to miss it. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The sun is turned off like a lamp. The moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky. The celestial powers will be shaken. Jesus is going, don't be deceived by all these in the flesh people standing there going, hey, it's me, come follow me. 
When I come, you will not be able to miss it. Those who endure will not miss my coming. There will be such signs in the heavens that no one could reproduce. I will make it known. You won't be able to miss it. Then he speaks of something uh, that we refer to now as the rapture. The rapture uh, is this piece of Jesus coming back and actually taking his followers off the earth to be with him. The rapture is another place where a lot of people get pretty tight-fisted in trying to to figure out exactly when that's going to happen. What chronological order is it going to follow and exactly where does it fall? Some people say it's going to happen at the very beginning of the tribulation. Again, this roughly seven-year period, if not exactly seven-year period, we don't know. Some say it's going to happen at the very beginning and that's what kicks it off. Some say it's going to happen somewhere in the middle and even they can't decide on exactly where. Some say closer to the end. Some say it's going to be the very last thing that happens. Don't know. But here's the thing. It's not important when it happens. It's important to believe that it will and endure until it does if we find ourselves in this situation. Because here's, here's the hard thing. It's easy, and we'll, and we'll read, this has been happening since the very beginning, to go, it's been 2,000 years. It's not really going to happen, is it? Or yeah, maybe it's going to happen, like, maybe my, my grandkids' grandkids will see it, but like, it's easy to kind of feel separated from it and go, no way. This isn't really going to happen in my lifetime, right? It very well could. In fact, we're all called to live as though it will happen in our lifetime. I thought about this. I want to see something. If you are over the age of 50, would you stand up? If you can. I know. I was waiting to hear a lot of popping and cracking. Okay. Uh, Those under 60. So 60 and up, keep standing. Under 60, sit down. Under 70, sit down. We got some seasoned saints here. Any under 80? Okay, we lost them all. Okay, that's good. For those of you still standing in your 70s, it can get easy to go, look, I don't have that much time left. This is probably for someone else. This could happen in your lifetime. All of us listening, this could happen in our lifetime. Are we prepared? Like we talked about last week, do we practice suffering well, whether through disciplines, through just when hardships of life come, is our natural to turn tail and run? Or are we practicing suffering well, enduring to the glory of God? We could all live through this time. I don't know that we will. We could. So this rapture, that Jesus promises, it is not so important to figure out the exact when. It's fun stuff to talk about, and we can point out this verse and this verse, and oh man, I wonder, wouldn't it be cool if, it's fun stuff to talk about. The thing we have to land on is it's gonna happen. Jesus is coming back, the second coming of Christ. It will be him in the flesh, and think about this, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory and power. He will send out angels to gather his elect from the four winds. 
we will see him coming in the sky, not standing on a street corner trying to get as many people as he can, coming in the clouds, and he will gather the elect, his followers, the church, to be with him. There is no question at that point, but is it really him? Yeah, flying. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul paints the picture to encourage the church who's suffering at the time, and he goes, man, don't forget, Jesus is coming back, and when he does, you will actually meet him in the air. You will fly to meet with him. No one's going to be levitating into the sky going, I wonder if this is what he was talking about. It will be clear when Jesus returns. And we're to encourage one another with this. Uh, first and second Thessalonians, the apostle Paul wrote them, and he wrote them to a church that was questioning, did we miss it? it it's been so long, have we missed it? And some people were coming in and, and telling them, hey, Jesus already came back. You guys must have been asleep at the wheel, you missed it. And so Paul writes these letters to them to encourage them, and he, he gives them this account of the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4. Again, us rising up into the sky to meet our Savior face to face as he returns. And then in 2 Thessalonians, they're going, maybe this, is this the end times now? Life was pretty hard for them at that point. And he goes, he starts talking about this man of lawlessness that will come, that most people believe is the Antichrist, and going, no, 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 things are going to get far worse. Just keep enduring. Just keep moving forward. Anyone that tells you you've already missed it, they don't know what they're talking about. Anyone that tells you it's not coming, they don't know what they're talking about. Just keep enduring. Long obedience in the same direction. Just keep moving forward. Christ is coming back. And you could very well see it in your lifetime. So Jesus goes on. Verse 28, learn this parable from the fig tree. As soon as its branches become tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, know that he is near, at the door. I assure you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Talk about a claim to deity. For Jesus to stand and go, look, the things that I talk about are going to outlast heaven and earth. And some people go, did Jesus ever really claim to be God? Yeah, he did. Heaven and earth are going to be destroyed. They're going to pass away but my word will last forever. And he says, look, learn from the parable of this fig tree. People, the people of that time knew when a fig tree sprouted, it was summertime. Summer was, was coming next. And so they would look for the tender leaves and the little shoots and they would go, summer's about here. We do the same thing. We look out and we see the leaves starting to turn a golden color and we go, oh, it's fall. We, we see the sign and we know what comes next. And Jesus said, be alert, be aware, because there's going to be those at this time when these things begin to happen that try to explain it all away. I, uh, I, I hate using this example, but it's just so prevalent. It's just global warming. That's all it is. I think global warming, like there's some, uh, some parts of it are true. I don't, I lost my words. Parts of it are true, okay? But some people are going to try to explain all of the, all of the things that Jesus talks about, the sun turning off. They're going to try to explain, oh, it's because of our smog. The stars falling from the sky. They're going to try to explain these things away, but he goes, you, don't miss it. I've told you in advance that these things would happen. Remember when he said that? And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. 
Don't be fooled. When people come in and go, it's a coincidence. Oh, that's just, we've made some mistakes. And so, yeah, now the sun turned off for a little bit. I told you in advance. Don't miss it. When you see these signs, know that I am coming. It's an encouragement for those in those times of suffering. When they begin to see these signs, it would be like living back in ancient Israel and seeing the fig tree starting to sprout and going, summer's almost here. It was this beautiful thing for them, something they looked forward to every year. And he says, for those who are looking, when they see these signs, it will be this encouragement. Hold on just a little longer. He's near. He's at the door. And then there's one line we're going to just talk about real quickly uh, because it's a confusing one. He says, I assure you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. A lot of people have talked about this passage for about 2,000 years now, trying to go, wait, what exactly do you mean? What generation? Uh, it, It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense that he was talking about, hey, Peter, James, John, your generation, you guys won't pass away until these things happen. Because here we are 2,000 years later, and we know that like, things didn't get as bad as they were ever going to get during their lifetime, and it's never been that bad since. That doesn't really add up. Some people take generation, and they just go, it means like era. The, the church era won't pass away until these things come. It, it doesn't seem to fit to kind of make that piece just so like spiritualized when the rest of it seems to be talking about some literal things. The, the thing that I've heard that makes the most sense to me is that Jesus was going, those who are alive when these things begin, your generation won't pass away before it's over. It, it was another way of saying this won't last forever. For those who see these signs, who see the fig tree starting to sprout and to know, man, like th- this is the beginning of the end, It's not something you start and your great-grandchildren finish. Your generation won't pass before this is over. God has limited these days. And again, prophecy is for those who are actually alive during its fulfillment. For those of you who are alive in these days, know that your generation won't pass before this is over. This isn't going to be forever. God has put an end date on this. Otherwise, like you said earlier, no one would survive. So then he goes on to what I think is actually the main point of all of it. Peter just moved through the worst days the world will ever see in about 30 verses. Pretty quickly, and I think to get to this. Starting in verse 32. Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angel in heaven nor the son except the father. Think about that. Jesus was going to look, I don't even know. Jesus intentionally put that knowledge on the shelf. Only the Father knows when that time is coming. So if anyone ever tells you, we got it figured out, I know how this whole thing works, we should be a little skeptical. People have written books, uh, if you guys remember decades ago, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 88. The next year, they wrote 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 89. Do you know what the 89th reason was? Because he didn't come back in 88. Legitimately. These are books. People get paid for this. No one knows the day or the hour. And there's almost a, stop trying to figure it out. That's not the point. No one knows the day or the hour. Watch, be alert, 
for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his slaves, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, he might come suddenly and find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Again, repetition in the Hebrew culture was their exclamation point, was their all caps. Jesus repeating be alert three times is incredibly significant. He's going, this is the point. You cannot miss this. Be alert. It doesn't, being alert doesn't mean have it all figured out before it happens. That is not the point. No one knows the day or the hour. But be found doing the work of the kingdom when the king returns. It's like a man who going on a journey, left his house, gave authority to his slaves, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper, be alert. Therefore, be alert because you don't know when he's coming back. That be alert doesn't mean hope you guess right. He, maybe he'll come back around midnight, so I'll set an alarm and wake up and, and try to, to get some stuff done before he comes back. Continue to do the work the master has given you until he comes back. Because you don't know when that'll be, but you don't want to be surprised by it. And by surprised, I mean, oh no, he caught me loafing. There, there was a bumper sticker back in the 90s. I don't know if you guys ever saw it or not, but it said this. Look busy, Jesus is coming. And it had this idea, like you're working in the office, talking at the water cooler, and you hear the boss's door open, and everyone's like... <laughs> Just making copies. <laughs> you know me, working all the time as if you could fool the boss. Some people, this is how they treat it. For now, I'm just kind of floating through life. Yeah, me and Jesus are okay. But one day, I mean, if I ever saw some of these things happen, if I ever saw the, the sun turn off and the stars fall in the sky, I'd get serious then because I knew he was coming. Jesus says, that doesn't cut it. Continue to do the work the master has assigned to you until he comes back, not sleeping on the job, but doing the work that he has given each and every one of us. Live alert that the king could return in your lifetime and be found doing the work the king has given you. I mean, that's, if I could sum up the Christian life, that's it. But that's the thing Jesus keeps telling us, be alert, be alert. Don't be deceived by this. Don't be deceived by that. Don't get caught up over here. The master has gone away and one day he'll return. Be found doing the work that he's given you. Live alert because we believe the king is coming back and we want to be found doing his work. Again, in the, in the sister passage to all of this over in Matthew, uh, Matthew gives a, a far more in-depth account um, of everything Jesus says. And, and right after Jesus says uh, this exact passage we've just read in Mark, he goes to give a couple parables in Matthew 25. One of them is often called the parable of the talents. Uh, for those men who were at the men's conference yesterday, we heard that's a terrible name because homophones, uh, talent, meaning like your abilities, not what they were talking about. They were actually talking about a sum of money. And so the NIV actually now refers to it as the parable of the bags of gold to try to give it like a little better understanding. And in that, a similar... Uh, teaching to what Mark captures. Jesus says, look, it's like a master is going away 
And so he gives, he calls his servants to him, and he, and he gives one of them five bags of gold. He gives another one two bags of gold, and he gives the third one one bag of gold. He goes away for a time into a far country, and it says while he's gone, the servant that he gave five bags of gold put it to work and actually doubled it. He comes back with another five bags of gold. The one he gave two came back with another two bags. The one he gave one buried it in the dirt, sat on his thumbs, and waited for the master to return. And here's what it says. I'm not going to get into how harshly the one who just dealt, who was given the one bag of gold was dealt with. But the one who had five. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The one who was given two bags of gold and got two more on top of it, he was given the exact same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many. Come and join in your master's happiness. These servants were ones that continued to work while the master was gone, knowing that one day he'd come back and they were going to be held accountable. Not even in a bad way, not even like, oh, he's such a horrible master. What if he catches me? They longed to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we've said this before, if you want to hear well done, you have to do well. Will we live alert, knowing that one day the king will return and we will stand before him? And the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we will be rewarded for everything we've done on this earth and held accountable for the things we left undone. Continue to do the work the master has given you I long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. Finally, Peter over in 2 Peter. Uh, if you guys remember a little bit, Peter actually wrote the book of Mark. Mark was kind of his editor, uh, and Peter potentially uh, could not read or write, so Mark would have written down Peter's story and put it together. Peter, speaking to the same thing over in the book of 2 Peter, he says this, First, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last day to scoff, living according to their own desires, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They willfully ignore this. Long ago, the heavens and earth were brought out from the water and through the, wa the water by the word of God. Through these waters, the world at that time also, also perished when it was flooded. Let me stop right there. Here's what Peter is saying. As that time approaches, as time continues on, more and more people are going to fold their arms and go, it's not true. It would have already happened by now. We could sit here now and go, it's already been 2,000 years. What are the odds that we see it? What are the odds that he's really coming back? Maybe it was a parable. Maybe it was just a story. Peter says that's going to become more and more. Where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have been. And Peter says, what those people have forgotten, that at one point in the universe, there was nothing until God decided to change that. And in one moment, there was something. There was nothing until God decided differently. And then all of creation comes into existence. He says, look, in, in the same way, 
that later there was all of these people living their own lives and it says everyone hated God except for Noah and his family and they were all going their own way and they were having wedding feasts as if life was going to carry on forever until it started raining. First time ever. And the world is flooded and all of those people who said life's going to continue on just like it always has, why worry about it? Drowned. Without warning. He says, in the same way, Christ's return will be like that. Things are going to be continuing on. Many people are going to be able to go, it's just, it's just a Tuesday, whatever. Until he decides to change things. Until his return happens. Until this tribulation hits. Suffering that were you working and preparing for? Or were you one of the scoffers going, what are the odds? But by the same word, the present heaven and earth are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction for ungodly men. Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Some are going, it's taking so long. And he goes, no, 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 no. This isn't God just being slow to act. This isn't God being like, somehow he just doesn't have enough oomph to make this thing happen. He is intentionally delaying that more would come to repentance. Some take this thing where it says, uh, the Lord says one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day to go, God doesn't even know the difference between a day and a thousand years. To him, maybe he thought it was a week as if he's some fool. But it's talking about if he can be patient for a day, he can be patient for a thousand years. His patience is unending. And this isn't God being slow to act. What is wrong with him? How come he hasn't done it yet? This is God saying, until everyone who will receive me has received me, I'll hold this back. I'm waiting patiently to adopt more into my family. Until that's complete, I'm not moving forward not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will be burned and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. The heavens will be on fire and dissolved because of it, and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness will dwell. If that doesn't do something for you, I can't help you. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found at peace with him without spot or blemish. In, in my Bible, next to this passage, I have written just a question how much do I really long for the return of Jesus? I'm pretty comfortable, if I can be honest. And these things convict me of going, do I live a life going, Jesus, I want for you to come back so bad. I can't wait to see you face to face. It, it, it convicts my heart, because I'm content to just kind of sit back and wait in a little bit of comfort. Instead of going, Lord, bring the day. And if that means I have to go without, if that means suffering comes on me and I have to endure, bring it. 
I am so passionately in love with you. I can't wait to see you face to face. I want to be found at peace without spot or blemish, with nothing standing between us. Is that the kind of drive that we have? Or are we content to sit back, kind of fall asleep? The master hasn't returned yet. What are the odds he's going to anytime soon? We have to be alert. We have to continue in the work that he's given us. It is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, again, I I admit I am apt to falling asleep at my station, to putting my feet up and being comfortable in this world and you can come back later. I'll just die here fat and happy and I'm okay with it. That is not how you have called us to live, but you've called us to live with expectation of your return, to live life today in view of that day, desiring to see the heavens open up and Jesus coming back, riding on a cloud, whatever that even looks like, and gathering his church from the four winds to meet him in the sky. God, may you just enamor us with this vision you've given. May this be something in our, when we wake in the morning, may this be a thought that we have. Not in some scared of judgment, oh, we don't want to disappoint him way, but I want to live today in such a way where I would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. May this become a driving force in our lives. May we live life alert, alert that the king could return in our lifetime and that we want to be found doing the work that you have given us, King Jesus. So would you just convict, God, if there are places that we have been holding back, if there are places where we have fallen asleep, whatever it may be, would you convict through your Holy Spirit? Be clear, be precise, give us next steps, God. What does it look like to live alert? And then give us the courage to actually do it. Move, God, we pray. May the world know who you are because we, your servants, are about your work. We love you, Lord. Amen.